Now, brothers and sisters, take out your Bibles with me and turn once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 17 here in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 7. If you do not have a Bible, there's a blue Bible on the pew in front of you that you may use. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 is on page 1135. 1 Corinthians 7. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I was so longing for the future that it made me ache. So longing for something that I wanted to happen, something that I wanted to change, that it made me ache. Have you ever felt like that? you ever gone through periods like that in your life? Perhaps it was waiting for a change in your life situation. Maybe a job. Or maybe an, an interview to finally come. Maybe it's waiting for a child. Or waiting for even becoming pregnant. Or waiting for a marriage. Or perhaps it was something bigger. Not your personal life situation, but something that applied to more people than just you. Waiting for a change in the country or in the world. I think almost all of us are longing, perhaps aching, to go back to a world without masks and social distancing, right? If only life were different, we so often say. Now, some might be surprised to know that the Bible speaks often to these situations that we find ourselves in when we're saying, if only life were different. I can't wait for the future to come. The Bible speaks in a number of places to this life situation we find ourselves in, One such place is our text today, 1 Corinthians 7. I'm going to read verses 17 through 24. I'd encourage you to follow along with me in your copy of Scripture. Starting in verse 17, Paul's words and God's words to us say, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, just moments ago, Adam told us something that was very true. And that's, Jesus doesn't want us to stay where we're at, right? Jesus wants to take us and make us something more. He wants us to grow. He wants, us to, he wants to put us through things that will cause us to grow. Put us through things that will produce in us perseverance and character and hope, right? We're not to remain stagnant. We're not to become content in who we are as a Christian, but we're always to seek to grow in Christ. But there is a way, interestingly enough, that God wants us to stay where we're at. It's very interesting in our text today. Paul speaks to people 
who are feeling what we talked about earlier, who are feeling like, if, if only things change. And he says, no, stay. Remain. The, the main idea today is this. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Paul says the same thing in three different verses in our text today. I want to sh- show you real quick. Look back with me. Verses 17, 20, and 24. So in verse 17, he says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. Then go down to verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. In verse 24, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. He says it three times, so it's got to be important. He's stressing this. Now, last week, we looked at a text where Paul was speaking to people who were married. One of the the spouses becomes a Christian and all of a sudden thinks, maybe I need a divorce because I'm married to a non-Christian. Maybe I need to pursue divorce now that I've become a Christian. And Paul says, no, if you're, you're married when you became a Christian, remain married. Don't seek a divorce. But also, we might apply it like this. And this is, a, I think, a really common and important application to this passage. But our careers, our vocation, and what we do with our everyday lives, don't up and change those just because you become a Christian or because you get serious about your faith. So I, I tell people this all the time, but we don't need everyone in the church to become a preacher. Paul will say later, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of smell be? Not to mention, that'd be a horrific-looking body, right? If you were a plumber, or an engineer, or a stay-at-home mom, or a teacher when you became a Christian, Paul says, remain there. Remain there. Or perhaps the application for you is not when you became a Christian. Perhaps you became a Christian years and years and years ago. But some of you might be saying, I'm just now getting serious about my faith. I'm just now getting really serious about following Christ. The same application applies to you. Some people, when they get really serious about their faith, or right when they become a Christian, they start to think they have to go into full-time ministry, or they have to become a missionary, right? And Paul is saying, we need missionaries in the places where you guys are already at. We need missionaries in all the places you are going out to tomorrow, and the next day, all throughout the week. Are you a teacher? We need missionaries in the schools. Are you a nurse? We need missionaries in the hospitals. Are you a plumber? You're being invited into five or six homes and businesses on a daily basis. What an opportunity to spread the gospel and the love of Christ, right? Now, it's important to say this when we come to this text. This is not a hard and fast rule for every single situation of life. For most situations, Paul says, remain where you're at. But you can, you can sense that there's also some situations in which someone becomes a Christian and then they would have to, out of moral duty to Christ, change their situation. I'll give you some examples. When I was in college, this, this wasn't a hard and fast rule for us when we were in college. We went to UK, me and my wife. And when I was at UK, first couple years, I got involved in a real serious Bible study with a, an older uh, dorm room mate that knew, knew Christ a lot more than we did. And so he got three of us, and we were involved in a real serious Bible study. And all of a sudden, when we started getting really serious about our faith, we started asking the question, well, does that mean we need to go into ministry? And out of the three of us, only one went into full-time ministry. 
But I had a buddy named Jeff who was going through the same thing that I was going through at the time. We were questioning and praying, God, what do you want us to do with our lives? Do you want us to serve you in full-time missionary or ministry work? And Jeffrey was studying to be an engineer. I was studying to be a, a computer programmer. And in the Lord's providence, God had me go into ministry. God called me to ministry, so I did need to change where I was going with my life. But Jeff, well, after a, a long period of searching and praying and asking a lot of people and reading some books, he continued to study engineering. God has blessed that, that young man with a great mind for engineering, and he works as an engineer now and is a missionary in the field of engineering at the place where he works, right? We don't need everyone to go into full-time mission work or full-time ministry, but there are some situations where someone would become a Christian and they would have to change, right? Think about this. What if someone had a job where they scammed people or they made a profit off of sin? And think about jobs that do that, right? And then that person becomes a Christian, well, they need to give up that job. They're going to have to quit that job if they want to follow Christ. What if someone, this is not just job-related, what if someone dressed immodestly or lavishly to draw attention to themselves before they became a Christian, and then they become a Christian? Well, they're going to have to change the way that they dress to follow Christ, right? For most people who become Christians, I'm not going to tell them, you need to change the way that you dress. You don't need to dress like me. I, I, I dress weird to most people, I think. But you don't have to dress a certain way to follow Christ, but there is a, a morality in the clothes that we wear, and the way that we present ourselves, right? Or how about this one? Maybe more at home in our culture. If someone was in a homosexual relationship, and then they came to Christ, well, following Christ would mean ending that relationship. They would have to end it to follow Christ. They would have to turn their back on that lifestyle. Or what if someone had previously tried to transition to the opposite gender? Well, to follow Christ... They would have to revert to living both privately and publicly as God created them, man or woman. You see, so what Paul is saying here is, in most instances, you remain where you were at when God called you. Remain where you're at. But, but there are some instances you can see where someone would have to change. So for the most part, Paul is saying, remain where you were whenever God called you. God has you there for a reason. You believe that this morning? God has you where you are right now for a reason. The place where you live, the job that you have, your vocation, what, what, what you spend your time on out of necessity many times, God has you where you are for a reason. And so because of that, don't miss what God has put right in front of you. Don't miss what God has put right in front of you. Don't spend your time wishing you were somewhere else or in a different season of life. God has put you where you are right now. You don't know the future. You don't know the future. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. You might have things that you wish would happen in the future. You might have things that you're looking forward to, but don't miss what's right in front of you for something that you're looking forward to so much. Brothers and sisters, I spent years aching to preach. Aching. Years. Thinking, if only I could do that, then I could serve God. Then I could really make a difference for God. And I missed all kinds of things that were right in front of my face that God put 
right in front of me, ways to bless people, ways to minister, ways to preach. All because that wasn't my job and I thought I needed that to serve the Lord. Don't miss what's right in front of you, wishing that you were somewhere else. We might take as an illustration of this young David, David before he became king. If you remember the story in 1 Samuel, the people ask for a king. God gives them a king like the nations around them. He gives them a king in the flesh, so to speak, right? And it's Saul, King Saul. Saul's the king that they wanted. God gives them what they wanted and it doesn't go well. And eventually God rejects Saul as king for failing to trust him, for sinning and walking away from the Lord. And God tells Samuel, Samuel, the the foremost prophet of that day, Samuel, I have rejected Saul. Go anoint for me another king. I'm going to send you to the house of Jesse. And there you will anoint one of Jesse's sons as the next king of Israel. This is the one I have chosen. This is a man after my own heart. So Samuel goes to the home of Jesse, sees all of his sons, goes through each one of them, and the Lord says, no, not that one, no, not that one, no, not that one. But there was one that wasn't even there. They didn't even think he was supposed to be there. He wasn't important enough to come to the anointing ceremony. He's off with the sheep. And God says, yeah, that's the one. Have him come. And Samuel anoints young David, a shepherd boy, as the next king of Israel. But that's not the point. The point is, just a little while later, this is before David and Goliath, before David comes king, Saul is sitting in his room, in his palace, wherever he is, and he's being tormented in his spirit and his soul by a spirit from the Lord, just tormented. And he says, what shall I do? His advisors say, why don't you find someone to play soothing music to you? And in the providence of God, one of his advisors suggests young David, who not only is a shepherd, but is also skillful at playing the harp. And so Saul says this, In 1 Samuel 16, 19, he sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Now, don't miss that. We we just read right over that most times. Don't miss it. David is with the sheep. David got anointed publicly by Samuel, the prophet, as the next king of Israel. And what does he do? He goes right back to tending the sheep. He goes right back to being a shepherd. Because David has a contentment in whatever the Lord wants him to do. David is a man after God's own heart. And that doesn't just mean he has enough courage to fight a giant. It also means David is content with whatever God wants in his life. If God wants David to be a lowly shepherd, doing the dirty work with no thanks from anybody, David's fine with that. Serve the Lord that way. Find joy in it. And if God wants David to go be a king, David's fine with that too. Serve the Lord in it and find joy in it. He wants what the Lord wants. He's a man after God's own heart. He's content to be where God has placed him, to bloom where God has planted him. Many years ago, a minister named Samuel Rutherford, when asked why he didn't pursue a bigger and more recognized congregation than the one that he pastored at the time, he said, the great master gardener, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in a wonderful providence with his own hand, planted me here, where by his grace 
In this part of his vineyard I grow. And here I will abide till the great master of the vineyard think fit to transplant me. There it is. Bloom where you're planted. Be content with what God has put right in front of you. On July 8th in 1796, the great preacher Charles Simeon, in fact, one of my favorite preachers from church history, if you ever read the account of his life, it's remarkable. Charles Simeon kept a journal And he had a remarkable encounter as he came across a group of blind men one day, and he journaled it down, and it's been preserved for us to read, which is why we know the exact date. He wrote in his journal, May I never forget the following fact. One of the blind men said to me, I never saw till I was blind, nor did I ever know contentment when I had my eyesight, as I do now that I have lost it. I can truly affirm, though few know how to credit me, that I would on no account change my present situation and circumstances with any that I ever enjoyed before I was blind. Can you truly thank the Lord for everything He has brought into your life, including the suffering? Can you truly say you want what the Lord wants? Because, brothers and sisters, our text today is teaching us your external circumstances are not what really matter. Your external circumstances are not what really matter. We think they do. Oh, we think they do. We, we so often think, if only the circumstances could change. Your external circumstances are not what really matter. Paul talks about two external circumstances here in this text. Both of them are things that we might not understand very well because they're, they're not really a part of our everyday lives. Circumcision and being a bondservant. Look at circumcision first with me, verses 18 and 19. Look back in your text. 18 and 19. He says, Was was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Not sure how that would happen, but he goes on to say, Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither one matters, but keeping the commandments of God, that's what matters. See, circumcision was a physical mark, of being included in the old covenant family of God, the Israelite nation, right? If you were circumcised, that that meant you were a male in the Israelite nation, the old covenant family of God. But once Jesus came, once Jesus died, we're in the new covenant. But you can tell as you read through your New Testaments, there's all kinds of confusions about, all kinds of confusion about circumcision going on. So the people who were Jews who were Christians, some of them were saying any Gentile, any non-Jew who becomes a Christian needs to be circumcised. They need to become Jewish. And there, there are Gentiles asking, so if I become a Christian, do I need to become a Jew as well? There's all kinds of confusion surrounding this. And Paul wrote almost the entire book of Galatians to address that issue, if you ever read that wonderful book of the Bible. But you see, Paul says, no, no, neither one of those things matters. Now what matters is your heart. It's not your outward circumstances. It's the inward reality between you and God. He talks about being a bondservant in verse 21. Look at that with me. Verse 21, Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. Now being a bondservant back in that time is much different then the, the slavery of Africans and African Americans in America and in Europe in the 17 and 1800s is much different back then. Right? 
You were a bondservant when you incurred a debt to someone. And then perhaps something in your life changed to where you couldn't pay off that debt. You couldn't give them the money that you owed them, so you had to lend yourself out. You had to hire yourself out to work off your debt. So there was all kinds of people who were bondservants back then. It had nothing to do with the color of your skin. It didn't even have anything to do with your place in society. There were people who were of noble birth that would have to do this every now and then because of poor decisions or economic circumstances that were unforeseen, right? Now, it wasn't an enviable position to be in. Paul says, if you can avail yourself to get free of that, do so. But it happened to all kinds of different people. But Paul's saying, that's an outward circumstance that does not matter. You can follow Christ whether you're a bondservant or not. In fact, he flips it around in verse 22. And he says, if you're a bondservant and you're called to Christ, now you're free. If you're, if you're free and you're called to Christ, now you're the slave of Jesus, right? It's not your outward circumstances that matter. And so, sometimes we find ourselves saying, if I could only change my circumstances, everything would be better. If only God would bring this about, then I could serve Him the way I should be serving Him. Or how about this one? If only this COVID-19 pandemic would go away, then we could be happy. No, brothers and sisters. That's not where happiness lies. That's not where contentment lies. If you are not content now, you won't be when external circumstances change. Because contentment does not come through circumstances. Contentment is an inward virtue. And it comes through having and treasuring Christ above all things. Finding everything you need in Him. Paul learned the secret to being content, if you remember. He said so in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's the secret? He says, I can do all those things through Him who strengthens me. See, we've often taken Philippians 4.13 and used it out of context. We like to take Philippians 4.13 and some athlete hits a home run or throws for a touchdown. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's probably more applicable to the, the guy who strikes out when the game is on the line and it's his fault that they lost. And then comes back and says, I can bear this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Paul says he learned the secret to contentment no matter what was going on. He could be content if he was dirt poor. He could be content if he was in a prison. He could be content if he was the only one following Christ and everyone around him hated him and hated Jesus. He could be content. Why? It's Christ. If you have Christ, you have something that no one can take away. And if you have Christ, you have everything. If you have Christ, you have everything. It's often been said, it's probably so true, we don't know that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. And then we know. He, he's everything. He's all we need. He's more than we need. This is how, based on last week, this is how a person can live in a marriage where they're not getting anything from their spouse and yet remain faithful to that spouse and not go for divorce because they're getting everything they need from Christ. They're getting everything they need from Jesus. This is how someone can live in a, a pig's die 
Not knowing where their next meal is going to come from and not be bitter about it. Why? Because they're getting everything they need from Jesus. True contentment does not come in outward circumstances. It comes from Christ. Let's think about politics and the direction of our country for a second. Some people right now are paralyzed in fear at what could lie ahead for our country. Some. Paralyzed in fear at what could lie ahead and the direction that it seems we're going. Others are so excited because they think, finally, a new president, finally, a new Congress, now there will be happiness. Guess what? Both of them are wrong. Both. True contentment does not come when your party has the presidency or control of Congress. True contentment cannot be found in external circumstances. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you we need to repent of putting too much hope in the United States of America and those who run it. I'm talking both sides. It doesn't matter which side you're on on what I just said. Both sides need to repent and put too much hope in this country, the people who run this country. Contentment does not happen based on external circumstances. How many people have we seen in the news, on television, who have it all? And it seems there is nothing stopping them from doing whatever they want because of everything they have. They can do anything they want. Nothing will stop them. And the next thing you know, something tragic happens. And it becomes clear they were not content. Those circumstances did not give them happiness. Remember last week we referred back to Deuteronomy 28. The Israelites are about to go into the promised land. And God says, remain with me. Stay faithful to me and I will take care of everything. I will take care of you. But if you turn your backs on me, and if you go after other gods, I will make it to where you can't even be content in the time of day. When it's morning, you will be aching and longing for the evening. And then when it's evening, you will be aching and longing for the morning. Right? Because contentment doesn't rest in outside circumstances. It rests with God and in God alone. So one of the lessons there is the Israelites couldn't trust the circumstances when everything was going good. Brothers and sisters, when everything's going well, when you're comfortable, when you've got enough money in the bank and enough food in the fridge, don't trust that. That's not what gives you contentment. It's a lie from Satan to trust that and to think that's what makes me happy. No, the Lord makes you happy. There's all kinds of people who have way more than we do, and they are miserable. The Lord makes us happy. The Lord gives us contentment. So here's the question that you've got to go home with today. Here's the question that every single one of us need to ask ourselves. Can I find satisfaction in serving God however He wills? Can I find satisfaction in serving God however He wants me to? Look at verses 22 and 23 again with me. He who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. You heard that before? You were bought with a price? Where have we heard that before? Chapter 6. This is the second time Paul has said you were bought with a price. It's probably important. Anytime you see something in Scripture mentioned multiple times, your, your ears should perk up. This is important. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Brothers and sisters, Paul is saying the most important thing about you is not your identity in the world. 
It's your identity in the kingdom of God. The most important thing about you is not your identity in the world. It's your identity in the kingdom of God. We heard this in the scripture reading earlier. Psalm 8410, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Can you say that this morning? Sometimes we can't. Sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, let's not be Pharisees here. Let's not act like we've got it all together. Sometimes we can't say that, right? Sometimes we can't say, I'd be, I'd be happier cleaning toilets for God with no one noticing than with having all the money in the world and the biggest house and everybody thinks I'm amazing, right? We're, we're often tempted to be happier over there. But Paul is saying and God is saying, what we are working toward is to have contentment no matter what God gives us, no matter what God puts us in. Bloom where you're planted. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we know what God's put in front of our faces. And maybe your situation right now is not where you would want it. But do you want what God wants? Are you happy with what makes God happy? True contentment means wanting whatever God wants. In the 1700s, an English pastor named Dr. Stonehouse was passing through Salisbury Plain, England fearful of the appearance of the sky. And he came upon a shepherd named David Saunders and asked him what sort of weather it would be the next day. The shepherd replied, it will be such weather as pleases me. Okay. The, the pastor was surprised by that answer and asked him, well, well, how can that be? How do you know? Because, the shepherd answered, it will be such weather as shall please God. And whatever pleases him, always pleases me. Contentment. Wanting what God wants. Is your situation right now not what you would have it to be? Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you some of the lowliest, least recognized people in the world's eyes will be some of the most exalted and rewarded people in eternity. God's kingdom does not work like this world that we live in. And I'm here to tell you, that shepherd there, he was not the first shepherd named David to have found the secret to contentment. But ultimately, it is not to David or to Paul that we look to for the ultimate example of contentment and trust in God, but to the one who said, yet not my will, but yours be done. Said it in his heart and meant it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus got down on His knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. In such agony, He said, it was to the point of death. It says His sweat was like drops of blood. And He prayed to God, His Father. And He knew what was to come. And He said, God, if there is any other way, yet, yet, not my will, but yours be done. I want what you want. And from that moment on, Jesus, with everything that he had, set his face to the cross and went obediently, never turning aside. And when he was on the cross, suffering, he wanted what God wanted. And because he wanted what God wanted, we have 
something that we never should have had. Because Jesus stayed on the cross when He could have come down, Jesus suffered willingly. He could have come down. They mocked Him. They scorned Him. They told Him to come down. They said, if you really are who you say you are, just come down and blow us all up and show us your victory and your authority. He refused. He stayed on the cross. He suffered God's wrath for our sins. He wanted what God wanted even to the point of death. And because He did, we have something that we we never deserve. We have the opportunity to be saved. We have forgiveness. We have the hope of eternal life because He wanted what God wanted. Because He said, not my will, but yours be done. Can we say the same? In our everyday life, not my will, but yours be done. And not just say it, but feel it. That's what we're going for. To feel like we want what God wants. Like we would only be happy with what God wants. Jesus is our ultimate example. We're going to spend just a few moments in silent, reflective prayer in which we ask every single person in here and every single person watching online to respond to God in whatever ways He's laid His Word on your heart. could be different for every single one of us. Only you know what that is. So we want to give every person a time to respond to the Lord's Word on your own. That's what this time's about. We're going to pray in silence and we're going to be responding to God. It's between you and God how you respond to what He just put on your heart. But don't resist the work of the Holy Spirit that's going on right now. After we spend a few moments in private response, we'll have a time of public response. But for now, let's pray for a few moments silently.